How has Hollywood affected the attitudes and perceptions of Americans towards the Army? Historically, what role has the Army played in the production of Hollywood films and TV shows? For answers to these questions and more Army History Insights, stay tuned. Welcome to the U.S. Army History and Heritage Podcast, the official podcast of the United States Army Center of Military History. The Center of Military History writes and publishes the Army's official history, manages the U.S. Army Museum Enterprise, and provides historical support throughout the U.S. Army. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the United States Army History and Heritage Podcast. I'm Lee Reynolds, the Strategic Communications Officer for the Center of Military History. You know, we are currently in the Hollywood Awards season, so I thought it would be a good idea to take some time and use this episode to examine and discuss the historical relationship between Hollywood and the Army. And joining me for this discussion is Dr. Dave Hogan. Thank you, Dave, for being here. Thanks for having me, Lee. Well, great. So a little bit about Dave. Uh, he is a native of Michigan. Uh, he received his bachelor's degree from Dartmouth College in 1980 and his Ph.D. from Duke University in 1986. After teaching at Elon College, he joined the U.S. Army's Center of Military History in 1987. He's the author of several books, A Command Post at War, First Army Headquarters in Europe, 1943 to 45. He wrote Raiders or Elite Infantry, The Changing Role of the U.S. Army Rangers from Dieppe to Grenada. He also wrote the book U.S. Army Special Operations in World War II. And finally, Centuries of Service, the U.S. Army, 1775 to 2005. And for 15 years, he taught an honors seminar at the University of Maryland College Park on American attitudes towards warfare and the military. And he also taught in Norwich University's online military history program. He is a former trustee of the Society for Military History and is currently working on a biography of General Omar, General of the, Ar of the Army, Omar Bradley. Well, that's a mouthful, but that's a, a pretty long and impressive career, Dave. Uh, am I missing anything here? I think you've captured it pretty well. Okay, perfect. Um, so now, uh, just for some clarification um, uh, about my own background, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, add to the discussion here. So I have worked in Hollywood in numerous capacities, but specifically I have worked as a military technical advisor on many films, documentaries, and TV shows both in an official capacity for the U.S. Army, but also as a civilian military technical advisor. Uh, some of my credits include We Were Soldiers, The Last Samurai, The Good German, National Treasure, and Only the Brave. Uh, and that is a film about the 442nd Japanese-American unit in World War II, not the more recent film called Only the Brave uh, about oil rigs. Now, the American public is clearly fascinated with military-related films, 19 of the 94 Best Picture Oscars have gone to films with a military-related storyline, so about 20%. This year, which is 2023, two of the films nominated for Best Picture are also military stories, All Quiet on the Western Front and um, uh, Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. What's interesting is All Quiet on the Western Front was uh, the original one, was the third film to ever win Best Picture. So it's... Uh, I like the first one better. Yeah. Oh, 
And uh, so now, uh, Dr. Hogan, yeah, your experience at the University of Maryland teaching about American attitudes toward warfare and the military has a lot to do with our topic today. So uh, as part of that course that you taught, you discussed the roles uh, or the role of movies and TV in creating specific attitudes or impressions of the military. So let's discuss that first because I, I think – uh, that will help us to discuss with more clarity later on the interesting relationship between the Army and, and Hollywood. So if you could just lead off and, and talk a little bit about um, you know, how movies and TV affect both positively and negatively the attitudes and perceptions of the Army. Well, Lee, um, as you indicated, it's no secret that since the 1890s, movies have been one of the most popular public media shaping perceptions on warfare in the military. And it's not any big secret why that's the case. Mm -hmm. They bring a sense of immediacy, stimulate. There's all this stimulation with mm -hmm. the, with the uh, noise, the sights, what, what movies can bring, spectacular combat scenes, right. and, of course, violence, if we're mm -hmm. talking about war movies. Mm -hmm. It seems to have a very electrical effect on its audience. Mm -hmm. But the sum of it with movies that, and I think most Americans are this way, uh, they movies are primarily entertainment. Mm -hmm. They are secondarily sometimes they're art. Mm -hmm. uh, rarely are they historical. <laughs> and uh, there is, I think, there is a general awareness in the American populace that a movie is a movie. It's only a movie. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of people who do take movies as reality, and and the fact that movies create such lasting images right. in our minds. This, and this raises some questions about the limitations of dramatic license and so on. So have movies affected, have movies affected attitudes and perceptions? No question. And we can talk some more about that. But I would argue as well that movies reflect as much as they affect existing views. That's a good point. They reflect uh, motifs that are already existent in society. The, well, probably the most popular uh, image that we that brings into mind is the frontier myth mm. we've been making movies based on the frontier myth for lord knows how long that's that's been so central in american culture Mo the uh, the uh, factors of freedom mm. the idea of freedom captivity rescue revenge all the things that have been built into the i've heard people describe pearl harbor as another indian war film the sneak yeah. attack and mm. then then the, the striking well, back. i think that's that's basic storytelling yeah. 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 And it's and it's a format that's very well worn mm -hmm. in the American experience. Uh, in some ways, when you ask the question about effect versus reflect views, mm -hmm. it reminds me quite a bit of the debate over Vietnam and the media mm -hmm. and the, the perennial, the chronic argument that the media lost Vietnam. Mm -hmm. They they transmitted all these images to the public and the media and the public gave up on the war. And actually, I think, and we've had historians at CMH who have argued this, that that is way overdrawn, that actually the media reflected public perceptions and more or less followed them as much as created them in, uh, in the course of time. I, I think if you, if you look back to filmmaking began, um, well, let's say the Oscars, right? So the first, mm -hmm. the first picture to ever win an Academy Award was Wings which was, um, it was a, a romantic love story set upon exactly. uh, army aviation in the First World War. And, it, and this, the making of this film had 
full support of the U.S. Army. In fact, it was filmed at, mm-hmm. I think it was called Kelly Field in San Antonio, Texas. They used Army aircraft. They used soldiers. And a clarification for the audience, too, that at that time, the Air Force was part of the yes, Army. that was right. So it was an Army-supported um, Army um, uh, film. But if you take, you know, from, from that film through World War II into the 50s, a lot of these, if not all of these films, were very heroic. Triumphant, yes. pro-America, pro-military. Exactly. Then you get into the 60s. And by 65 to 67, 68, that starts to change. And then you start seeing a lot more of these um, anti-war. Mm-hmm. In, uh, you can maybe call them anti-American, but an, anti-military uh, films. So there's that perception or the reflection. I think that's a really good a discussion to have. Yes, uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, there are some ups and downs going going through the history of films mm-hmm. and the and the film and the and the uh, attitudes toward the military and warfare. But there is a real sea change about the late '60s. Right now, you can look at the period in the interwar years before World War II. There was the romantic period, the adventure period. There's always been movies that treat war as an adventure. Uh, mm-hmm. As uh, there's always there where there's a romance involved. There was a period in the 30s when that backtracked a little bit. You started to see pacifist films mm-hmm. like the original All Quiet on the Western Front, yeah. which I still think is the best of its genre of all time. Well, it was the book was written and the film was was produced as anti-war films. Yes, yeah. it was, mm-hmm. and it was. It's it's an amazing film. I mean, you, you look at you look at All Quiet on the Western Front now and the technology of the time in which they put it together. It was it's it's incredible how well they portrayed that and how effective it was, and it right. it won a slew of Academy Awards at that at that mm-hmm. particular point. But it but it reflected that era of disenchantment. Of mm-hmm. uh, it was in the middle of the depression. Uh, there was a lot of disillusionment in American society in general mm-hmm. with ideals, questions about whether American up institutions were up to the challenge. Mm-hmm. And that fed the kind of disenchantment that you saw in All Quiet on the Western Front. Mm-hmm. But American society recovered quickly. <laughs> yeah. at, at the end of the, as you started to get into the late 30s and the rise of fascism and the threat of fascism mm-hmm. overseas, um, even if American society was floundering somewhat in terms of we don't know exactly who we are, where we stand, but we know we're, what, what we're against, right. and this is it. Yeah, so let, let, let's, talk, let's look back uh, a little bit more at that. Well, first of all, um, can you cite any examples, let's say, that have influenced uh, films from the 30s, 40s, maybe that influenced American public opinion, and then maybe some films that – um, well, influenced it in a positive way or some films that influenced it in a negative way? Yeah, it's, I think when you talk about influence, that's a very hard thing to measure. I'm not aware of any studies mm-hmm. that say, where they go out and ask people, well, how much of your decision to rejoin the army was the result of seeing The Longest right. Day mm-hmm. or yeah. something like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's certainly impressionistic evidence. I I remember when Top Gun originally came out back in 1986, and there were all these stories about, boy, young people, young men are just racing to join the Navy and be fighter pilots. Yeah. So a lot of that heart, it's it's kind of hard to measure the recruitment impact. Mm-hmm. However, 
I do think we can point in, in the 1940 period to Sergeant York, mm-hmm. which I often used in my class to counter po- counterbalance against All Quiet on the Western Front. Mm. All Quiet on the Western Front didn't see any value in war, very disenchanted with war. Sergeant York, yes, there is a threat out there. Whatever our personal misgivings about war or pacifism, sometimes there are things you have to fight for. Mm-hmm. And that's that was the message that came through largely in cloud and clear, and it came at a time when America was adjusting to the notion that they would have to fight another major war. Yeah, because Sergeant York is a, a film, of course, um, uh, that took place in World War One. Yes. But it came out in the early years of World War II. It came out in 1940. Right. So, okay, so. In, the United States was not yet in the war, mm-hmm. but but you started to see that surge of preparedness, particularly after the fall of France, and right. we were moving in that direction. And mm-hmm. naturally, American society was very divided at the time. So um, how has the Army, uh, like look, looking back to World War II, how has the Army um, helped or, or um, um, worked with Hollywood to influence public opinion? Well, uh, the Hollywood Army relationship is very interesting. It's a classic case of both institutions. They each have something they very badly want from the other, mm-hmm. and they seek to both to exploit that relationship and to benefit from it. And the services want an act, attractive portrayal. Mm-hmm. of their institution. The Army wants wants to uh, portray a positive picture of the Army, a positive picture of it as a career, as as uh, to, to draw young men into serving. Uh, in wartime, they want they want that image to build support mm-hmm. uh, to for the war effort. Filmmakers, especially the studios, they want military help. Yeah. They want personnel. They want equipment. They want that aura of authenticity yeah. that uh, that military support can provide. Now, the Army has been, I would argue, a little less successful than the other services in terms of doing this, perhaps because Army themes don't necessarily play into play into this like they right. do for the the other services. Have the benefit of technology. Mm. You know, Aviation technology was very new and mm-hmm. very, very uh, popular and charismatic during the interwar years between World War One and World War Two. So the Air Force, Army Air Forces at the time, had the had a leg up mm-hmm. in terms of the publicity. Wings itself drew on the aviation yeah. craze. Yeah, absolutely. And same thing with Top Gun, Top Gun Maverick. Uh, the Navy benefits enormously from that. It's it's hard to find. A sexy type image, if you would, <laughs> right. that 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 the army can pick up on. Yeah, let's look at World War II because I think this is very unique in 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 uh, army history in dealing with Hollywood. Um, so here we are at war, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, the basically the army and and Hollywood work together for for many reasons and. Um, mm-hmm. uh, um, the filmmaking in the, in the army belonged to the Signal Corps, but Hap Arnold, who you know uh, led the Army Air Air Forces at the time, he saw a need to also uh, start a unit that could help him um, train his uh, his um, his soldiers, his airmen, um, but also for recruitment. They needed pilots. They needed a lot of people. 
So uh, they formed something that was called the First Hollywood Movie Unit. Yeah, the First Motion motion Picture First Unit. First Motion Picture Unit. Arnold is one of the really interesting guys to look at in terms of the evolution of the serv- of the military and film. He had been he had a long experience with the studios. He had filmed Military Scout in 1911 mm. when he was a young pilot, and he was very aware. He he knew the he knew the people. Mm-hmm. He knew the potential that the, right. that film could use in terms of selling the Air Force. He's mm-hmm. try, and he's trying. Remember, he's trying during this period to sell the Air Force as an independent right. service, and he, he recognizes the power of film to do that. He collaborates. He gets together with Jack and Harry Warner of Warner Brothers. And in March of 1942, he commissioned them to create this unit. And in July 1st, 1942, the first motion picture became an active unit with (laughs) Lieutenant Colonel Jack Warner as as the commanding officer. Now, Warner didn't stay for very long with Mm. the first motion picture unit. He had a job to do with his own studio, and he went back to it, but... But he but, got it started. He, uh, he got literally it started. got it rolling along. Yeah, mm-hmm. originally it was in Warner Brothers Studios and and then uh, in Vitagraph Studios in mm-hmm. in Hollywood, okay. and then they finally ended up at Hal Roach Studios, which was known to the people in the unit as Fort Roach. Fort Roach, <laughs> that's in Culver City, I think. Yeah, right, Culver right. City, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. And they started with recruiting films, um, as mm-hmm. you mentioned. They, they originally the idea was we need to train pilots. Then it was we have to find some gunners, recruit some gunners. Mm-hmm. They developed training. And then once that proved successful, they started to get into the business of training films mm-hmm. to speed the learning process for Air Force crews. This is where oh, wow. you get a lot of the animation. Some folks. Oh, really? Some folks. What was that? Rudolph Ising that, that mm-hmm. later became involved with Looney Tunes and mm-hmm. Mary Melodies. Right. He was involved with a lot of these animation scripts. I, I think Mel Blanc. Mel Blanc. Uh, um, also uh, performed in these and did a lot of the voiceover narration. Mel Blanc was, uh, at, uh, was the voice of Precision Firing, which, oh, was wow. a, which was a movie for, governor, for uh, Gunners. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his, his character, who ended up being very popular in the Air Force, was Trigger Joe. <laughs> and Trigger Joe would teach you about uh, about gunnery. And these are all training films, right? These are not these are training re- films released to the public. They had character films like uh, there was one on t- talking about the dynamics of flying, mm. which featured c- cartoon characters called Thrust, Gravity, and Drag. Oh wow! <laughs> uh, but that wasn't all the first motion picture unit did. They also did Special Film Project One Fifty Two, mm. which involved developing navigational and topographical films to support bombing campaigns. Oh wow! They would look down. They would they would uh, survey a potential target like Tokyo with mm-hmm. an overhead camera, use mm. film to try to uh, and they could use this film then to uh, to educate pilots oh, wow. and bombardiers. There was also Special Project One Eighty Six, which surveyed bomb damage. Oh, and wow. uh, and that particularly the effect as American forces moved into Germany toward the end of the war, they mm-hmm. could they could take a lot of film that that uh, surveyed just how effective the bombing was, and that in, the, mm-hmm. in turn played to the strategic bombing survey that the Air Force commissioned mm-hmm. soon afterwards. Hmm. Um, very, uh, very successful. Even uh, yeah. even Field Marshal Wilhelm Keitel, hmm. uh, Hitler's leading military advisor, uh, remarked later on how good the Americans were with flight with uh, film training. Oh wow! How yeah. they how they had developed how they had developed that to such a fine level. Because this unit also um, helped train the uh, the combat cameramen of the day. Yes, as well, mm-hmm. which is part of the that Signal Corps. Did. 
Yeah. And um, because people don't 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 realize it. A lot of the army films or government films that we have from that era that are Mm -hmm. all stored at the National Archives and are free for public use uh, and viewing. Um, But that was filmed by the Signal Corps. Yes. Yeah. That this some of these movies that they put together for the bomb damage survey at the end of the war. uh, Some folks call it the longest unseen movie in history. It cost about a million dollars to put together. And this unit was, it was unique because it was made up of all professionals from the entertainment industry. It was definitely unique, um, a unique society. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the folks that joined up, largely professionals from the film industry. Mm-hmm. The unit bypassed normal recruiting channels. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were able to do that because film duty was deemed so essential to the war effort. Well, you talked about uh, Mel Blanc, Jack Warner. I think they also had a very famous director, John Huston, that did a lot of these films. Any other names that we might recognize today? Oh, Lord. Well, Clark Gable narrated Wings Up and Combat America after his stint in Gone with the Wind. <laughs> William Holden, who later became a very famous act, did a lot of war films over time for different studios, uh, he did reconnaissance pilot wings up and lightning the Lockheed P thirty eight story for <laughs> for uh, for first motion picture unit. His fellow Van Heflin oh, yeah. uh, did land and live in the jungle. He also did land and live in the desert. Oh, so, yeah. okay. <laughs> so he went from one climate to another. Before he made Shane, Alan Ladd did uh, photo intelligence and bombardment aviation. You mentioned Mel Blanc and the voice of Trigger Joe. Mm-hmm. One person I didn't realize was in there that, uh, you know, the fellow who played Bones McCoy in Star Trek. DeForest Kelly. <laughs> DeForest Kelly. Oh, he wow. did A Time to Kill. And there were some famous directors, too. You mentioned John Huston, but also there's uh, John Sturgis, mm-hmm. who was later director of Gunfight at the OK Corral and Magnificent Seven and The Great Escape. Oh, wow. Which is right up there on my list of great war movies. Yeah, I would agree. Uh-huh. Yeah, anybody else? Well, there was this fellow... Uh, let me see. Ronald Reagan, yes. Ronald Reagan. I think I've heard of him. Think yeah. you heard of him? <laughs> yeah, I think he started, right? He started as a lieutenant and then uh, I think eventually captain. Yes. He started as a reserve cavalry cavalryman. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, and that goes back. He had been a longtime reservist. He had joined up with the Army Reserve in Des Moines, Iowa. I think that's when he was doing those baseball. He was, oh, the, he was broadcasting baseball games mm-hmm. at in Des Moines. So he had served in the Army for a long time. As a reservist, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but he was the units, he was the first motion picture units personnel officer and later the adjutant. And uh-huh. it's ironic because uh, Reagan didn't really like to fly, at least at that point. <laughs> he had bounced around in a plane flying to Catalina back in the 30s. And, oh. and uh, yeah. Well, that, he made a couple of those um, outside of this unit. He, um, uh, war films that I, I thought were pretty good, actually. Yeah, uh, with Errol Flynn, he did uh, Rear Gunner with mm-hmm. Burgess Meredith, mm-hmm. and that was that was a recruiting film to advertise for gunners. They were recruiting gunners, and once they got done with pilots, uh, they recruited gunners right. for the for the for the Air Force. But he did, oh Lord, he did he did a lot of different films for for them. He, but uh, Jimmy Stewart, I believe, also Jimmy Stewart did the original one, uh, Winning Your Wings. Oh yes, that okay. John Huston directed. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy Stewart, uh, he was perfect for that role. 
You know, he was one of the most, he was probably the Air Force's favorite actor of mm-hmm. all time. But he served in the Air Force uh, outside of that unit as well. I think he, he eventually made general. Yeah, yeah, I Air think Force he was a one-star general. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So he, he became very, he did very well. He did, he worked in this Winning Your Wings. It was the first, actually Warner Brothers did that for on contract before. This was the first thing the Warner Brothers did for the Air Force mm-hmm. and while they were still in the process of forming the unit. Oh. And uh, Arnold credited that movie with delivering a hundred thousand recruits. Wow! For for pilots, so and but again, we we are already at war, and these these films are designed to uh, help with recruitment, yes. help train mm-hmm. uh, military personnel, but mm-hmm. also help I think with morale, well, oh, within yes. the military, but also the American public. Yeah, they they were they they played a role in terms of. Putting people in touch with the with the uh, fighting men, right. uh, probably the most famous of the first motion picture units films that I can recall is Memphis Bell, the story of a flying yeah. fortress that uh, William Wyler directed, mm-hmm. and that that made the National Film Registry. Mm-hmm. That was that. I mean, you know, a movie's good when they make a sequel. Which yeah. they did back in what was it the eighties or nineties when they did the yeah I think late eighties yeah mm-hmm. so uh, great film really yeah. good film yeah and that that told a great story about a bomber crew that was trying to make it through its last mission so it could go home yeah and uh, yes uh, so there were others resisting enemy interrogation won an Academy Award and mm. the last bomb was nominated nominated for a best documentary so it's feature. interesting that these films were also uh, submitted. <laughs> Yes, for, for Academy, for Academy Awards. Awards. And they're for, for documentaries primarily. Yeah, right? for documentaries, true. But um, so they made some morale films. They made some a lot of training films. You go down the list, so many of those films that we were talking about with these actors were training films. Yeah. Outside of the first motion picture unit, mm-hmm. there were other Hollywood um, people that were involved in, in filmmaking for the war effort. Frank yes. Capra comes to mind. yes. Hollywood played a big role in the war effort, and they were a priority. Mm-hmm. President Roosevelt said early, he said, it's important for the film industry to help keep up morale, mm-hmm. maintain national morale, inform and entertain the citizenry. And so films provided a form of escape mm-hmm. from, obviously, from all the uh, right. chaos and, and uh, heartbreak. But while at the same time attempting to build unity behind the war effort. Mm-hmm. So with World War II, more than I think any time before or since, you had film enlisted mm-hmm. to support the war effort. Because right. you didn't really see um, anti-war films no. com- coming out of Hollywood uh, in those days. No, there was no questioning. This is what we were all in. Uh, even the cartoon characters served that we're so sure. familiar Disney. with. Disney had a whole series of... Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know what you want to call them. Not, not necessarily pro-war, but uh, but films. Bugs Bunny sold yeah. war bonds. A- animated films mm-hmm. um, helping with the war effort. Yes, Donald Duck pushed saving. Yeah, right. <laughs> so pushed savings to support the war effort. You mentioned Frank Capra. The Why We Fight uh, was one of the real mm-hmm. That was a series of five documentaries. Yes. But why, I think, oh, yeah. Uh, I think it came up to seven. In oh, the did end. it? Okay. In the end, there were seven, but. But his first one, which was Prelude to War, that won an Academy Award also. Yes. For it, uh, yeah, Best Documentary. Yes, for Best Documentary. Yeah, I think uh, there were seven episodes, and 
They earned a lot of praise. Of course, Capra, as you mentioned, was a filmmaker of some stature. Mm-hmm. Every he Christmas already won Academy Awards. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He had already won Academy Awards. So, and Why We Fight has since frequently been praised. Uh, it's often moving. I remember years ago seeing the one on the Nazi strike, mm-hmm. which was the second one, I believe, and mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. They really knew how to use you know, Beethoven's Seventh Symphony mm-hmm. in conjunction with all these pictures of French refugees right. um, and just how beastly the uh, enemy was. Mm-hmm. And uh, this, they were praised, and the, the Army wanted to release them theatrically, which the mm-hmm. Hollywood was kind of, oh, we don't want the competition from the Army. <laughs> um, but the uh, reaction to the Why We Fight wasn't universal universally positive. Mm. A lot of people found the episodes strident with a lot of cliches, mm. slogans, and heroic posturing. Mm-hmm. Some of them were very dubious mm. uh, in terms of their historical background. The battle for China and the battle for Russia mm-hmm. uh, have some real groaners in there for those who... Well, these have been called propaganda films. Yes. And so, as we know, with the term propaganda, it's to influence an audience to to have a certain... Point of view. Point of view or emotional reaction. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, not, I'm not coming to his defense on, on that, but I'm just, just to clarify, that well, was the point of the films. But, this is, but this, is, this is the thing. It's just it's kind of a fine line. Mm-hmm. You know, this was his job right. after all. And it becomes – and it's the movies that we tend to remember from World War II, most of them really we just don't think that much about um, – the early films like Bataan and Wake Island, right. we really the filmmakers didn't have that much to go on in terms of what was happening, and some of them look mm-hmm. kind of ridiculous, mm-hmm. frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very they're very racist mm-hmm. in terms of how they portray the Japanese right. as uh, animals, instant insects. It's mm-hmm. it's not uh, right, and they made the battlefront seem hardly more deadly than a football game. But then, uh, again, during this time frame, we t- we've mentioned it before, but it's, they're heroic. They're pro-American. They're it's uh, pro-war as, as, because it's freedom against fascism. Exactly. Uh, right. And then you have somebody like John Wayne who, you know, I, I heard yeah. somebody say John Wayne won World War II. But the, the reason being is he – it was the films that he was in. It was he the did, messages that Yeah, that he did portrayed. some films. I know he did Back to Bataan. Mm-hmm. But, uh, of course, Sandy Wajima. Wayne, yeah, the Saints of Iwo Jima, that becomes, of course, that comes out in 49, so it oh, yeah. belongs more to the post-war. Mm-hmm. But, um, but you're right. I mean, you look at these, these movies, they're out to portray the GIs as regular guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, the phrase homely hero mm-hmm. uh, comes to mind. Units are melting pot. You've got the Irish guy from Brooklyn, the Texas sharecropper. Um, the t- Strange thing is when they bring in African Americans or Asians mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. the performance, and then they, they then uh, they portray an integrated army at a time when the army was not mm-hmm. integrated. Mm-hmm. So they're also trying to remold views on enemies. You never in in film and generally in photography in general, you never showed American soldiers fighting with British. Mm-hmm. You never um, you never showed racial tensions right. within the army. And you portrayed the army. The Soviet Union became this courageous democratic ally. Yeah. Forget the purges. Forget Stalinism. The uh, Britain is idealized in a very sentimental way. Mm-hmm. White Cliffs of Dover and all that. And 
China becomes a modernized country of mm-hmm. all these all these peasants just yearning to be truly democratic and free right. and, and opposing the brutal Nazis and the treacherous Japanese. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, and sometimes I think with a lot of these films, they just they hit very hard. Right. Other films like Casablanca has been regarded as something that was more subtle. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. it's a very effective movie and best picture in 1942. Yes, yeah. but um, but the propaganda it's there, but it's not not so in your face right. as it is in some of these it's, in some of these others. Oh, yeah. Later, Hollywood got better. They made more realistic and movie mm-hmm. movies like the story of GI Joe, which was based yeah. on Ernie Pyle. Well, but we're, I think the ones you're talking about, and correct me if I'm wrong on this one, but the the more realistic ones were done, I think, post war. Yeah, well, where they didn't have to have that propaganda effect. Yes. Now it's more like looking back and honoring the veterans, honoring the service of of um, you mm-hmm. know um, the, the soldiers and and the reason why we fought again. Yeah, and that that's obviously when you're not in that wartime environment, and, mm-hmm. and but but. Even in the post-war, once the Cold War gets going, there's still that wartime mentality. Yeah, so let's, let's transition to, to that real quick because, um, you know, Hollywood and the Army were all in, working side by side together to create these films, using equipment, locations, um, um, even what we call stock footage, getting the Signal Corps uh, films from the actual front lines and using them in the films. Now... You know, we're post-war, getting into the Cold War. Um, how how did things change? Well, the 50s and early and six, most of the 60s mm-hmm. are the golden age for military movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Hollywood and, and the military had very similar priorities. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, was, there was a lot of cooperation. Uh, the Army for much of this period is in a battle for survival, frankly. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're in a they're in a struggle to preserve themselves in the budget mm-hmm. against the Air Force, which is the carriers of the nuclear of the atomic bomb, nuclear mm-hmm. bombs, and uh, and of the Navy. The, the Air Force and the Navy get tend to get the most of the press, and the Army is struggling uh, to maintain a profile. They're looking for benefits from recruitment to prestige mm-hmm. to uh, support for a higher budget, and they work. And they benefited to some degree during this period from the fact that there are so many veterans mm. in the uh, in the movie industry at this mm-hmm. point who know something about the army. Right. Uh, that doesn't mean that necessarily that we have a totally positive view of military life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They had been around the army; they still had a little bit of that GI Joe mentality about officers. Mm-hmm. But really, through the fifties into I would say mid sixties, sixty five at least, exactly. yeah. it, it's still more of a. Um, a positive view and a positive relationship because you still had the the army, yeah. the military in general, but the army specifically still supporting the making yeah. of a lot of these. Well, and the, and the things that do come up are tend to be relatively minor. Mm-hmm. Uh, the army doesn't uh, the army doesn't like it when when the uh, movies portray officers being. Uh, you know, treating enlisted men badly. Mm-hmm. Right. It doesn't yet. I think a prime example was From Here to Eternity, mm. which is I think is one of the greatest army movies Frank of Sinatra. all time. Yeah. But it's based on a it's based on James Jones's novel. James Jones served in the army, and it's mm. it's hardly a uniformly positive view of the army. Mm-hmm. 
the sar- sergeant, played by Burst Lan- Burt Lancaster, has an affair with the wife of the commanding officer, who, who is kind of a jerk. But uh, the Army had to work through a lot of negotiations. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of con- negotiations, a lot of compromises before From Here to Eternity could emerge. And there, anything that put officers in a poor light, there was concern about the portrayal of GIs going overseas. Uh, the Army was hypersensitive to the slightest slur against a woman's Army Corps. Oh, okay. Although generally, arm, generally Hollywood was pretty favorable about the Ar- women's Army Corps. It mm-hmm. usually wasn't a problem. But occasionally, it was rare that the Pentagon flatly refused to provide assistance. Mm. I don't know if you know that movie, Attack, that I think came out in 1956 or so. Yeah. Which shows a enlisted man shooting his officer. Okay. The Army was never going to support that. Right. Mm-hmm. That type of movie. Yeah, so filmmakers, they have to make that decision. You yes. Know, uh, we could go to the military and ask them for support. And the military, even then, would have to review the script. They reviewed the script. They made suggestions. Uh, there would be back and forth over the suggestions. Mm-hmm. Some um, were more major than others. Some were pretty small. And if the script got approval, then then the Army could arrange access to bases, mm-hmm. base facilities, uh, arrange for soldier extras, review, uh, and the completed film would be screened at the Office of the Chief of Information and mm-hmm. often with high-ranking invitees. And if you pass that test, mm-hmm. boy, that could unlock all kinds of things yeah. for you mm-hmm. as, a, as a studio. You, you would, you'd get promotions through the Army's vast public relations apparatus and through the international... Armed Forces Network, right, which was right. a very bit, which was a very big deal. You mm-hmm. could, so this this often could make the difference between the success or failure of a film. Yeah. So now, um, as we get to, through the '60s into the '70s, we're starting to see a change in the films that are coming out, mm-hmm. um, anti-war, and uh, yeah, not so pro-American. It there's a change in the sense that. You could see tougher portrayals of officers Mm -hmm. and and of the institution in the early, in the 50s and 60s, but it was more, it was more along the lines of just, you know, this is kind of the culture and this is what you go through to be a man and be a tough guy, a lot of that sort of thing. But But that relationship between the Army and Hollywood um, as more of these anti-war, anti-military films were being made, the army wasn't supporting those, and so no. there, there there was a little bit of a of, of a break in that relationship. That changes that changes enormously. A, mm-hmm. Some of the movies that come out later, uh, it, it begins in the early '60s when you had have the growing concern over nuclear warfare. Right, early '60s, uh, a Doctor Strange Love and Failsafe don't mm-hmm. specifically aren't specifically on the army, but that's yeah. that's the kind of uh, question. So they don't get any support from the military. No, that's the, there's this questioning of American general questioning of American institutions, and that's mm-hmm. that's a case where the questioning is the movies reflect that and affect that mm-hmm. affect that both. But uh, Vietnam turns into an unpopular war uh, that upsets the traditional pictures of the military and the militarism. From some of the skeptic, skeptical wisecracks about about the institution and officers in the 50s and oh, 60s, right. you go into something more sinister, mm-hmm. something that uh, you, you know, the military comes off as careerist, clueless, and robotic. Mm. 
Uh, you, you have much more negative portrayals of, of the Army leadership, uh, suspicion of civilian and military leaders. It's an outgrowth of the era. Mm-hmm. And that's when you start to get um, the, def- the kind of Vietnam movies, on the one hand, Platoon, mm-hmm. um, oh, later. Casualties yeah. mm-hmm. of War, right. Apocalypse Now, and then the reaction-type movie of that, Whereas you had the Green Berets, yeah. which yeah. was kind of a follow-on from the late 60s. Mm-hmm. You go from there to Rambo in the <laughs> right. 80s. Mm-hmm. But now Patton. So Patton, right 1970, right in the heart of that time where it's anti-war films, um, that had the support of the military, didn't it? Patton is an interesting movie. And there's this fellow, Nick Sarantakis, that wrote a great book on that. Um, it, you can look at Patton a number of different ways. Mm. And uh, Frank McCarthy, who was the producer for Patton, was a former aide to General George Marshall, mm. chief of staff of the Army in World War II. So he had contacts, mm-hmm. and he could, he could work those to make Patton happen. And there are some who look at Patton and figure that's really an anti-war film mm-hmm. uh, for the period. The movie was based on two books. One of them was by Omar Bradley. Yes, and a soldier's story. I, right, and I understand that Bradley was actually a military advisor on yes. that film. Yes, yes, and if Bradley was a military advisor, you could be sure it wasn't going to be anti-Army. Right. However, the Bradley relationship, Bradley, I think, tried to be as fair as he could mm-hmm. with Patton, but <laughs> but he was, he was not a Patton fan, mm-hmm. and that comes off in different ways. And then what's interesting is that same year, I think also up for best picture, but Patton won, was MASH. And MASH is a classic uh, Vietnam. I, it's it's set in the Korean War. Right. It's it's a medical unit in the Korean War, obviously. Mm-hmm. But but the, the themes, the portrayal of the military in so many different ways reflects the Vietnam era. Yeah. yeah. And then and the producers made it as an anti-Vietnam War film. Yeah. Moving forward, you've mentioned some of the ones in, in, in the 80s, you know, the heart of the Cold War. Mm-hmm. Uh, the military is, is being a lot more selective now. Uh, um, the Army's very selective for a time in the, uh, mm-hmm. in the late 70s, 80s, when these Vietnam movies start coming yeah. out. And well, it, they, they're very sensitive. Yeah. I think it's a period when the military is under fire. Not getting a lot of, of support from from uh, from the army. Yep. Um, but then this movie called Top Gun came out. Oh yeah, and, and I still remember that. Yeah, and I think you mentioned earlier that, what that did for the navy, yes. what that did for recruitment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think even the the, the recent one, Top yes. Gun Maverick, Maverick, has has had an impact. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember when that came out, and in working Army Public Affairs for as long as I have, and working with the um, entertainment office in Hollywood, um, you know, we've always said the Army needs our Top Gun. But then um, somebody responded to that, some producers, and they came out with a movie called Firebirds. Uh, that's when you Apaches. stopped. <laughs> that's yeah. when you stopped uh, pushing for a new for yeah, an Army which wasn't Top good. Gun. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But um, yeah. yeah, so so the military has been a lot more selective on what they're going to. Um, they they're wiser. Mm-hmm. I think they and they come out of it wiser. I think they benefit from the resurgence of support in the 80s. Yeah. And you start getting some more positive films like like Top Gun, but but there are others. Part of it is you start to get into the World War II nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Saving Private Ryan, that's right. that's generally a fairly positive movie about the army. Mm-hmm. Um, 
let's see, A Bridge Too Far uh, oh, yeah. came out in the late 70s, mm-hmm. but uh, that that um, that carries sort of carries over the heritage of some of the old World War II classics. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, well, actually, in a movie you were working on, We Were Soldiers, yeah. mm-hmm. which you can take that versus vis-a-vis uh, Platoon, mm-hmm. or yeah. which uh, in terms of how Vietnam is viewed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of the movies lately, too, there's still the sense of uh, individuals caught in the chaos mm-hmm. of, a, of a wartime situation where the support, the, the implication of support from the higher levels and from society mm-hmm. at large doesn't always seem to be there. You get these, how do I put it, somewhat anarchic films like right. Three Kings. Do you yeah. remember Three Kings mm-hmm. with George Desert, Clooney? The Desert Storm, I think. Yeah. yeah. And um, Black, Black Hawk Down, of course, yeah. which influenced a lot of uh, viewers. and. Mm-hmm. And uh, more recently, Hurt Locker. Hurt, right, which so. best picture again. Um, so let's, before we move, move on, um, I, I want to talk a little bit about, um, for veterans, mm-hmm. going into a movie theater and, and, and watching a film. Um, before I got involved with Hollywood, I, I, I had a hard time watching a lot of these, uh, these films because, <laughs> uh, especially more recent ones, maybe in the last 30 years, it, they were, they just, so poorly represented the military. Haircuts weren't correct. Uniforms weren't correct. Um, I, I mean, the way they were talking was just, we didn't talk that way. Yep. You know, so it was hard to go. And, and I didn't, for, for a lot of time, um, I didn't go and watch an, mm-hmm. an army film or a TV show because it was just so, so bad and poorly representative. Um, but I think Hollywood in, in the last at least 20 years or so has been trying to make a difference in that now. Well, well, Lee, you've been involved with that to quite a bit in terms of you talked about We Were Soldiers. Mm-hmm. We talked some of the other movies that you were involved in in terms of the more recently trying to get that. Right. And and I think um, Saving Private Ryan had a lot to do with Hollywood trying to get it right because um, you know, a gentleman named uh, Dale Dye. Yes. So we'll, people will recognize him if they don't recognize his name. In uh, He's been in a lot of films, but he created um, a unit of veterans um, that mm-hmm. filmmakers could use, and they would get it right. They would put actors through training. They would make sure wardrobe and the props were all correct, and they would be on set to to make sure those things are right. And um, and then since then, it was, uh, I, you know, I worked on We Were Soldiers. We filmed that in, in the uh, winter, spring of 2001. And the good thing is you have filmmakers who want to get it right. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, they wouldn't uh, – General Moore um, would not have allowed Hollywood to make that film unless they had the right filmmakers doing it. And, and they matched up with uh, Randall Wallace who wrote and directed the film. And uh, they hired – well, Hal Moore was on set almost all the time. So he was <laughs> – you know, it was like having – With Omar his cavalry Brad. hat? <laughs> uh, yeah, sometimes, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, but a team – of us, of three people were brought in for our own specific areas of expertise. And then, of course, it had full support of the U.S. Army. So mm-hmm. we filmed at Fort Benning. We filmed at Fort Hunter Liggett in California. But um, uh, we made it as accurate uh, as we could. We put the actors through training. Mm-hmm. We made sure even background actors, as many of them as possible, were veterans. So they knew how to look like a soldier, how to act like a soldier. And those who weren't veterans, the background actors, we trained them as well. But that's just one example. Uh, there's plenty of movies I've worked on and, and other movies like Black Hawk Down, which was actually filming the same time we were filming 
we were soldiers. They had their military tech advisors too. And in Hollywood over the last 20 years, um, I, I think one of the benefits of, of being at war for 20 years is you've got all these veterans and now there's several veterans organizations that filmmakers hire mm -hmm. to bring in as technical advisors and historical advisors to help get it right. So they aren't as swimming in uh, fantasy as the Army, right. as Hollywood was in 1942. Yeah, but <laughs> and and there are some producers who still say, you know, um, they'll, they'll hire the military technical advisors, but they don't want anything to do with the Army or DOD because they don't want the perception they claim of being controlled by DOD, and that's and that's fine. But DOD uh, um, has film offices that are available to filmmakers. It's a it's a it's a little dance that both sides mm -hmm. are doing, right? So they'll still review scripts. So if a, a filmmaker wants to make a movie about the army, um, it's in their benefit uh, to have access to the army. That way. They save money on locations. They can shoot at real military bases. They get to use military hardware, aircraft, tanks, and all that uh, that comes with that. They still have to pay the military for for the gas, the ammunition, and all that. The military benefits from a training opportunity yes, as well. But then it also benefits from recruitment. Whenever an agreement is signed to, to film using uh, – with military support, it has to be sure that – they're telling an accurate story. They're not portraying the, the military in a negative way unfairly, mm -hmm. um, and that it has recruitment benefit. I get the sense that both sides have developed a bit more sophistication mm -hmm. in terms of how they've approached this over the years. Yeah, mm -hmm. and they they're they're better in terms of navigating around each other's uh, sore points. Right. In terms of uh, in terms of each side getting what they want out of the arrangement. Yeah. Now there has been some criticism that hey is this legal is this, is this right? But so far, you know, Congress has mandated that the military army has public outreach. This is uh, one form of that. Um, so you know, let that debate go on, but um, but these film officers do exist. And you don't necessarily – you could still use the Army for research and not have to have an agreement, you know. Um, but we can still provide research. It just – you just can't use um, – unless you sign a contract uh, and have a script approval by the military, um, you can't use, uh, you know, the, the tanks and the aircraft and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but um, the military still provides uh, his support. Support and inaccuracy and that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, and, and the thing is, too, with We Were Soldiers, and I remember when that came out, Vietnam vets were delighted mm -hmm. because it actually showed them fighting a worthy enemy. Right. Yeah. In a, in a, in a very, in a tough battle yeah. that in some ways evoked World War II type yeah. clashes. But General Moore wanted it that way, to his credit. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, him and Joe Galloway, you know, they were both on the set the whole, uh, pretty much uh, the whole time. Mm -hmm. Um so that yeah, that was all um, very good, and I would say about eighty percent of the movie was accurate. <laughs> There's a few things we in can it talk that, about that, that a little bit that uh, they agreed upon. General General Moore agreed uh, with the filmmakers that okay, you know, I get it. You know, poetic or dramatic license was was taken, and you're going to have that. And I think that's a point I, that I do want to get across to the audience is sometimes when when you go and see these films. Um, Sometimes some things, it's a compromise. Um, but as long as, you know, they're saluting correctly, 
they have the right haircuts, they're wearing the right uniforms, they look like soldiers, that, that, then that makes me happy. But, you know, we're getting, we're getting short on time, so I want to uh, jump into our, um, our segment called Hua Trivia. So for today, I think it would be kind of fun if um, we just talk about our five favorite and maybe least favorite uh, um, war films. And any for special mention. Do you have, do, would you want to start? Well, given my work on Bradley right now, I'm obviously I really I really love the movie Patton. Mm-hmm. I could watch that however many times. And George C. Scott delivers one of the most marvelous portrayals, acting portrayals. And uh, yeah, he that was a really tricky thing he had to do because mm-hmm. obviously the family was very sensitive, but mm-hmm. they but they liked the portrayal that he gave, mm-hmm. and it's. It's really been one of the, I mentioned how it could have been viewed as an anti-war film, but the amazing thing is the degree to which people have really grown on, you know, Patton has become a bigger celebrity now since mm-hmm. the movie than, than he ever was before. Right. Um, so I think we both agree that Patton. Yeah, Patton that's on a, my list as well. It was a great one. Um, I also like The Longest Day, mm-hmm. which uh, at the time it was made was an epic and you can read about all yeah, there were a lot of clashes there between between the producer and the army mm-hmm. in terms of things that were portrayed. I think there was at one point where uh he filmed American soldiers uh, killing Germans trying to surrender. Mm. And the army was very upset about that and he he said he wouldn't delete it and they went back and forth on that mm-hmm. for the so but uh but the longest day generally it's it's and it's very emblematic of its time in the yeah. sense of the way it portrays the Germans. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. It's it's a post World War II film, yeah. so the Germans can come off as professional. And right. It's really Hitler that's messing messing mm-hmm. things around. Uh, we've talked a lot. Of, I know at times about Battleground. Oh yes, yeah. With, uh, let's see. I guess Ricardo Maldeman was in that. Was it Van Heflin? That, yeah, it's a, it's about the Battle of the Bulge. Battle of the Bulge, yeah. correct. And uh, I really, I thought that was... It's better than the movie that's called Battle of the Bold. <laughs> more accurate. Yes. Yeah. Well, much more accurate. Although I have, I have some good things to say about the Battle of the Bulge. Some. Uh, From Here to Eternity, I've always felt that was a... That was a mar- Burt Lancaster is tremendous mm-hmm. in that movie, and so is Montgomery Clift. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- that was... Even though the army did succeed in dunning it down a bit, it's a, it's a real picture of the pre-war army. It's, it's almost an artifact. Mm-hmm. My personal favorite Vietnam movie is Go Tell the Spartans. Okay. Which uh, doesn't, isn't as well known today, but in certain aspects, like the way it makes fun of the Army's fixation on technology mm-hmm. and, uh, and the callow lieutenant who ends up uh, getting himself killed. Well, I don't want to say too much. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. And did you want me to give you my worst now? Or well, let me do... say, so uh, I think we agree. I think I have Patton and Longest Day in mind. Uh, I also would, uh, of course, We Were Soldiers. <laughs> I just, I really do enjoy that film. That might have made it's my so list if it hadn't been for that Mel Gibson charge at the end. Well, that was, totally that was extra, one of those things that, yeah. Totally um, extra dramatic right. license. Uh, I also add uh, Glory. Uh, mm-hmm. Great, great film on um, about Civil War and uh, the Black Soldiers. Uh, and uh, and the the miniseries Band of Brothers, fantastic yeah. series, and I would give honorable mention to the movie Stripes. I love Stripes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the army thought of it. I doubt the army gave it any help, but but uh, Bill Murray is marvelous, yeah. marvelous in that. Uh, Glory is Glory is outstanding. I just uh, kind of wish Matthew Broderick 
Uh, yeah, I'm so used to him as Ferris Bueller. It was hard to get <laughs> hard to get over that. Um, and, that and then uh, what's what's your um, uh, give me a couple of your least favorite? Inglorious Bastards is so yeah. I I could I almost always make it through a movie, but I could not make it through that one. That was just terrible. Yeah, I didn't realize that Hitler was killed during the war. So that's <laughs> uh, it. Just it, it just mm-hmm. got so, it just was so surreal that it finally just got me. Gods and Generals. Mm, yeah, uh, we agree on that. That was one. a groaner. Yeah, I, I just so many lost cause tropes and the acting and the script were terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, the Patriot. <laughs> See, I enjoy the Patriot. I know it's not as historically accurate, but I, I enjoy the film. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny how Mel Gibson has to have a charge at the end of every movie he <laughs> makes. Yeah, you know, he's making Braveheart over and over again. <laughs> the picture of the picture of the revolution that emerges is just the, the whole thing about Tavington burning down the church. That's something from the Eastern Front in 1944. Uh, Gibson was out to get the Brits, and they and they let him have it. Mm. Um, Green Berets versus Platoon. I would I would hit the Green Berets harder because they're <clears throat> because um, it's just not a good movie. Platoon Stone's a very skilled filmmaker, but mm. and uh, my last one on least is Dances with Wolves. Oh. <laughs> marvelous, marvelous cinematography, but the scenes of uh, a fifties American family in a teepee talking about little daughter was too much for me. <laughs> I would add to the list of my least favorite um, uh, Pearl Harbor. Uh, that movie talked about Nick Cage, Firebirds. Um, and then there was one called Home of the Brave, which was um, just, it focused on PTSD, but it was just, you would think coming out of watching that movie that every soldier um, suffered from PTSD and had um, discipline issues. So I, I just didn't A lot of Vietnam that. movies like that, unfortunately. Right. Well, thanks so much, Dave, uh, for your insights today about the relationship between the Army and Hollywood in Army history. And if anyone wants to learn more about the role of Hollywood in the Army or learn more about Army history in general, then please explore our website at history.army.mil. And if you want to experience Army history every day, then visit our social media sites on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for joining us today on the United States Army History and Heritage Podcast. For the Center of Military History, I'm Lee Reynolds. And until next time, we're history. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or opinions of the U.S. Army or Department of Defense. For more information about the Army's proud history and heritage, go to history.army.mil.com.